0: to ask a question. My main question is, first of all, for you, why do you do the work that you do? Why? What is your motivation? And and actually, more importantly than why do you do what you do is what about God? Why does God do anything that he does? What is God's motivation for everything that he does? And that's an important question because whatever his purpose and motivation is, that should be our motivation as well, right? That should be the answer to why we do everything we do. So, why does God do anything that he does? And I'll give you two choices. Is it our happiness or is it God's glory? And I want to walk through several passages in the Bible where it's very clear exactly why God does what he does. But before we do that, I need to talk a little bit more about this word glory, because I think if we were to ask everyone in the room, define the word glory, we would get different definitions from everyone. But what does the Bible say glory is? Well, first of all, in the Old Testament, the word for glory is chabod, which just means weight. And you think of someone who's weighty. The substance of their character is strong, and out of that flows a strong reputation and name. And in the New Testament, the word is "doxa," which just means light. And it is that that character of God and His reputation. I'm trying to use other words than glory to define glory, but it's his glory that shines from him like light. So if we put those words together and all the different words related to glory in the Bible together, glory is many different things. First of all, it is something that we see it's his presence it's light it's majesty it's splendor it's radiance it is sometimes a cloud that moves from one place to another and we can see it but it is also something that we hear about it's his reputation it, this is his his weight and his character his name his namesake his honor his praise his fame his renown his exaltation his appreciation it is what we hear about and that we other people hear about when we tell them and it's also what he deserves glory is what he deserves and i put a scale up there cuz i want you to think about the Cavode, the weight of God on one side and how much glory on the other side does it take to even begin to tip the scale to be what he deserves and is worthy of. He deserves glory from all nations and from every nation, from each nation. Think about all the different passages that use these words and, and every tribe, all peoples, every language, and ends of the earth, or or the whole earth. And you'll also see words like fill or cover. This is all glory language. This is the biblical vocabulary around glory. And when we see these words, it should Make a light go off in our head. He's talking about his glory when we see these words. And when I put all of those words together, what in my mind comes out is a sound. And it's... it's, ah, That's the sound of the glory of God. Like the heavens parting. And it is this awe of God. It is the awesomeness of God. God, that when we see who he is, we are in awe and it makes our jaw go drop and we're in awe at the awesomeness of God. One theologian defined God's glory as the Godness of God. <laughs> it's, it's who he is. It is the awesomeness of who God is. And one more word I want to add to this vocabulary is the word no. K-N-O-W. No. K-N-O-W, know. And it's an important word, and I'll show you why, because glory, it helps me to understand that glory is it moves in two directions in the Bible. It it comes, it it's all the different ways of saying God is awesome. And it moves down from God to man, and it moves up from man to God. And at first, is God reveals glory to man in all these different ways through creation. And you guys know Psalm nineteen, uh, Psalm nineteen that says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His hands. All of creation is saying God is awesome. The Word of God, as you read it, it's all saying God is awesome. Jesus says God is awesome. He is the ultimate revelation of the glory of God. As it says in Hebrews, He is the image of the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. So Jesus is a revelation of God's glory. Miracles reveal God's glory. When God does these mighty acts and wonders, we see his strength. We see how awesome he is. And now, first God reveals his glory to us. Then, man, woman, has a choice. When they hear and see how awesome God is, they can either reject or they can receive And if they receive and they agree, yes, God is awesome, then this is man knows that all these truths about God, that God really is awesome. And if next time you're reading through Ezekiel, notice how many times that it says all the different things that God does so that they will know. That there is a God in Israel so that they will know. And when we see the glory of God and we know it as true, then how do we respond? We respond by giving him glory. Man gives glory to God through worship, through evangelism, through Loving others, the way we love people, even the people that believe different things than we believe, when we love them with the love of Jesus, they think, whoa, God is awesome. And when we trust God for the first time, when we surrender and give our life to Him, that gives Him glory. And when people see us living courageous lives because we trust Him to provide for us more than our jobs. Or more than safety when They see that trust And they think man their God Must be awesome And it gives glory To God Take a look at Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 It says The earth will be filled With the knowledge of the glory Of the Lord As the waters Cover the sea How do the waters cover the sea? It is completely. And so his glory is going to cover the whole earth. This is how it's going to end. Why? It's it's because he sends glory down to the whole earth because that's where humans are and he wants glory to come up from them, from the whole earth. He's going to show his glory to every nation because he wants to get glory from every nation. And when I say nation, don't think city, state, or governmental power. Think ethnos, ethnic group, a people group. It's a group of people who have the same language and belief and religion and culture. He wants to show himself to every single people group that he may get at least one or two from each people group giving him glory. Look at Revelation 7-9. Taylor showed us this earlier. This is how it's going to end. And pay attention to, at the end, who's there. We know our king of kings is going to be on the throne, the land that was slain. But who is there around the throne? After this, I looked there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. Verse 10 says, and they were crying out. With a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They all fell on their faces saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. He wants glory. And it's not complete until he gets it from every nation. God is so Passionate about his own glory, that he will stop at nothing to get it from every nation, and to help us solidify our belief in this, I want—I don't want you to take my word for it. I want us to look at a few verses. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. We're not going to hit every book and definitely not going to hit every verse, but I'm going to give you several so we can see this thread that goes through the whole Bible telling us why he does everything that he does. First of all, why did he create the universe? We already saw, you heard in Psalm 19 that it declares his glory and the sky proclaims the work of his hands he created the universe to get glory and then look in genesis if you have your bible turn to genesis chapter 1 verse 26 why did god create man chapter 1 verse 26 says god Said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over everything. Verse 28 says at the end, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule over everything. We are made in his image. That means we're like mirrors. That when people look at you, they don't see you. They see God. They see his glory or so it should be. And then he told us to told them to multiply and fill the whole earth so anywhere you go you should see an image of the glory of God because just like Habakkuk said it's going to cover the whole earth just like the waters cover the seas. Images of God everywhere. So this is why he created humans, to bring honor and glory to his own great name. Did it work? Not yet. <laughs> it didn't work right there because they sinned. So they, did, they were fruitful and they multiplied, but they did not multiply images of God's glory. They multiplied wickedness and evil. Turn over to Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. So they filled the earth, all right. They multiplied and filled the earth, but they filled it with wickedness and with violence, not with God's glory. So why did God flood the earth? Because they were not filling the earth with God's glory. So then he gives them a second chance. Look at chapter nine, verse one, when Noah gets off the boat and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Just like he said to Adam and Eve, he gives them a second chance. Did it work? No. First of all, right after he got off the boat, remember what Noah did? He got drunk. And then they didn't spread out. Instead, they all clumped up together in one place and built a big tower. Do you remember this? Flip over to Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, a name for themselves. Whose name are they supposed to be promoting and spreading? The name of Yahweh. And they did the exact opposite. And why'd they do it? And he, They said, lest we be dispersed. Said, let's make a tower so that we don't have to spread out. The exact opposite of what God told them to do. So what did God do? Look at verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. He changed their language so that they couldn't communicate. And why did he do that? To force them to spread out. And this is the beginning of nations and many cultures. It's almost as if God said, we can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way. And we chose the hard way. Because all one language spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth would have been like that. But now there are cultural barriers that the gospel must cross. So his new plan is to choose one of those nations to be a blessing to all of the rest. Turn to Genesis chapter 12 verse 2. Why did God choose Abraham? It says, And I will make of you, Abram, a great nation, and I will bless you. That means he's going to multiply him. And look at the end of verse 3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why did he bless Abraham? Because he wanted to... Bless all nations through him. And he confirmed that promise to his son, Isaac, and to his son, Jacob. Why? Because he wanted to bless that whole family line and fortify it with blessing so that that family would be around for a long time. So it would be a strong fountain of blessing to all nations. And he wanted it to be around for a long time because someday there would be a blessing that would come through the line of Abram to bless all the families of the earth. And what is the ultimate blessing who comes through the line of Abram to bless all the families of the earth? Jesus, amen. He is the blessing. Yes, he gave Abram tons of money and cattle and livestock and made him strong with blessing, but so that the reason he blessed him physically is so that he'd be around for a while so that he could bless spiritually to all nations with Jesus. He is the point of the blessing, the ultimate blessing. And in Jesus, God takes blessing to every single nation so that he can then get glory from every nation. Because only when a nation receives Jesus, can they be given a new heart. Only Jesus can go into a nation. And give new hearts that are set free to give him the surrender and the praise and the glory and the honor and appreciation that he deserves forever and ever. So Jesus is the key to the blessing. So why did God bless Abram? Because he's going to use Jesus to get glory from all nations, from all families. Turn to Exodus chapter 9. God caused the Israelites to be in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Why would God let that happen? Apparently... Alleviating suffering is not God's top priority. Removing pain is not God's top priority. Otherwise, it would not have taken 400 years. Why did it take 400 years? Because he's taking his time to build up an enemy that he cannot down to receive glory and honor for his own great name. And I'm not just making that up. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 14. This is God speaking to Pharaoh through Moses. And he says, this time I will send all my plagues. He's gonna sh- reveal his glory through the plagues. By the way, the miracles... God can show his glory through miracles, and you can receive good through miracles. But if you reject the Lord, you can receive bad through the miracles of God. Pharaoh is about to find that out. God will get glory through salvation, and he will get glory through judgment. Because over here you say, God is awesome. And over here you say, God, you are awesome. You are strong and not to be messed with. He will get glory. Exodus chapter 9, verse 14, For this time I will send all my plagues on you, Pharaoh, and on your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you, and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I raised you up to show my power. That means reveal my glory, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Do you see what he's doing? He's using Pharaoh to get glory from all the earth so that his reputation would spread and people would hear how awesome God is. And what he just said there is, Pharaoh, I'm going to take my time with you. He could have done it quickly. Why didn't Pharaoh just give in on the first plague? Because God chose to harden his heart. Yes, Pharaoh hardened his own heart and God hardened his heart. Exodus chapter 14 verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory. This is why he does it. Get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. The Egyptians shall know. That's what he wants. He wants them to know that I am the Lord. He does it for his glory. Turn to Numbers chapter 14. Do you remember when God wanted... Where's my friend? Where's my brother Caleb? Caleb, we were just speaking about Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who heard the report of the spies that said the land is too big. The the land is the giants in the land are too big. And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones saying they're too big for me, but not too big for God. (laughs) Yes. And so Joshua and Caleb were the only ones. What did God want to do with the rest of them? God wanted to wipe them out. But he didn't because Moses talked him out of it. Thank you, Caleb. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 13. Listen to how Moses talks to God to get him to change his mind about wiping out the Israelites. Numbers 14, 13. But Moses said to the Lord, if you do that, then the Egyptians will hear about it. Look at verse 15. Now, God, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. Moses knows what God cares about. He, appear, he appeals to God's desire for his own reputation and his own glory. He says, God, don't wipe out the Israelites. He doesn't say they're pretty good people. He doesn't say that. He says, the reason you should not wipe them out is for your glory and your namesake. God cares what the Egyptians think about him. God cares what the nations think about him because he wants them so that he can set them free and that they can give him glory. This is why he did it. This is why he did not kill the Israelites to get glory from all nations. Turn to Joshua chapter 4, verse 23. Moses has just died. Joshua took over. And now Joshua has just taken them into the promised land through the Jordan River that parted just like the Red Sea for Moses. God repeats that miracle to communicate he is with him in the same way. Look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 23. Why did God part the Jordan River and send them through on dry ground? Verse 23, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did in the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that, so this is the answer to the question why, so that all the peoples of the earth may know, that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Why did he let them cross through the Jordan River on dry ground? To bring honor and glory to his own great name from all the peoples of the earth. And when they got through the Jordan River and arrived at Jericho, where's my friend from the church in Jericho? We talked about how his, we know that his uh, members of his church know that they're not supposed to walk around the walls and yell because then they would have to do a building project. Why did God tell them at Jericho the military strategy is to walk around the building seven times and then yell and the walls will fall down? To give him glory. To make everyone's jaw drop and be in awe at the might and the power Of God This is why he did it You know I don't know if you're Seeing this trend yet But sometimes God makes things Harder than they have to be Right Sometimes God makes things Harder than they have to be For what reason To get glory For his own great name It would be, it makes me think of, do you know the, one of the most famous pieces of art in the world is the painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome, where you see the hand of God and Adam. And just imagine if you were talking to the artist, Michelangelo, and then he said, yeah, I painted that whole thing with an old toothbrush. You would go, whoa, how did you do that? You are an awesome creator. And this is what God does. He makes things harder than they have to be sometimes to get glory for His great name and make us say He is awesome. It's why He chooses to use you and me to get glory for His great name. Because we're not going to get the glory. Because we know us. And we are not awesome. He is awesome. Turn to Judges chapter 7 verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me. Boasting, that's another glory word. To boast is to glory in yourself. And he says, I don't want them to boast over over me saying my own hand has saved me. So God told Gideon to shrink his army and they went from 3,200 to 300 men so so it was way harder than it had to be. They were really outnumbered. And God said, okay, now you can go into battle. Now nobody's going to say I'm awesome. Everyone has to say their God is awesome. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Goliath is mocking God and attacking his reputation. And David stands up and says, I will not stand for it. I will fight for the sake of God's reputation. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 46 David says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Why did God send David to kill a giant with a sword and a spear and David only had a sling and stones to get glory for his own great name? David and Goliath is not a story to tell young boys to stick up to your bullies it's not to tell boys to be courageous it's to tell us how awesome god is turn to psalms 46 psalms 46 verse 10 I love this psalm partly because it is often taken out of context and used in the wrong way. In America, a lot of times you will see a little framed piece of artwork on the wall that with some flowers and something that looks really peaceful and calm and it has, be still and know that I am God, period. That's it. And they leave out the rest of the verse that says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I love that this is all throughout the Psalms. The next time you're reading through Psalms, pay attention to how many times it talks about his glory from all nations. You will notice that over and over again, he tells us, To tell the nations God is awesome. And so we're supposed to be praising God to other people. And then he also tells us praise the Lord among the nations. So that the nations will hear and see us giving God glory and go wow. Their God must be awesome. And how many times he says that he wants praise from the nations we're supposed to praise him to them. we're supposed to praise him in front of them because he wants them to praise him the psalms are chalk are full of god getting glory from all nations turn to first kings chapter 4 verse 34 why did God give Solomon all that wisdom and wealth and build this temple with such extravagant riches? 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34, "...and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom." Why did God give Solomon all of that? Because he became a magnet to draw all the nations to him that they would see and go, God is awesome because he wants glory from all of those nations. Turn to Isaiah chapter 48. Why did God send his chosen people, the family of Abraham, into exile? When they were in the promised land, they kept worshiping false idols and giving them his glory instead of giving him the glory. And he kept sending prophets to say, stop worshiping idols or I will punish you. And they kept ignoring or beating or killing the prophets until finally God said, enough is enough. And he sent them into exile out of the promised land into the land of Babylon for 70 years. Why did he do it? Isaiah chapter 48 verse verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, that means my own glory, my own reputation, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He punished them with exile for his own sake. But why did he not just kill them? Why did he give them a 70 year punishment instead of just killing them? Well, look at verse 9. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. I delay it. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. So why did God give them a 70-year exile instead of just killing them when they deserved it? Apparently, this is the plan that gives him the most glory. God will choose to give his people affliction in the time and way that gives him the most glory because it is his top priority. And when they were in exile... Turn to Daniel, chapter 6, verse 25. While they were in exile, you know the story from, from the time you were a child. You knew the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But why did God do that? Why did God rescue Daniel? This is what happened after they pulled him out of the pit. Daniel chapter 6, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. So notice what's happening here. King Darius is a Persian king. They do not believe in Yahweh. This is a pagan king. And look at what he says after Daniel is rescued from the lions. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. I, I, if any of you are worship leaders or songwriters, I challenge you, write a worship song using only the words of a pagan king. Look at what God did. Listen to these words. It is so good. Verse 27. This comes from the mouth of a pagan king. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So good. And then look in Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved from the fiery furnace. Why? Look at what happened after. This is another pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Verse, it's Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way and then look at chapter ver- chapter 4 verse 1 he wrote a letter to all the nations and says verse 3 Daniel chapter 4 verse 3 how great are his signs how mighty his wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures From generation to generation. This is from a pagan king. He doesn't know Yahweh. But God is committed to getting glory from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And he will stop at nothing to get it. This is why he did it. That would make a good worship song. Are you ready to see... The best revelation of the glory of God. (laughs) Turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. One reason God sent Jesus is to show us his glory in crystal clear display to see just how awesome God is. What about when Jesus was tempted? Why was his temptation at the end of 40 days of fasting when Jesus was at his weakest to get more glory. What about his transfiguration when he revealed his bright light, splendor and majesty by peeling back a little bit of his humanity? It's because when they awoke, they saw his glory, as it says in Luke 9, 32, to reveal his glory. Turn to John chapter 2, verse 11. Why does God do all these miracles through Jesus? Why does he heal the blind, the lepers, the demon-possessed? Why does he feed thousands from five loaves and two fish? Why does he walk on the water? Why does he turn water into wine? Chapter 2, verse 11 says, This is the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. That means he did the miracles to show his glory. And look at the result. His disciples believed in him. This is a little side note. He revealed his glory through the miracles and the result was the disciples believed in him. The reason God does these miracles is to show his glory and that people would believe in him. That is a little bit different than saying He did these miracles because healings was his major purpose. The purpose of miracles was to illustrate his power so that people would believe. Turn to chapter 9, John chapter 9, verse 2. His disciples asked him about the man born blind. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is, this is hard Because it says that God has a higher priority than everyone being happy and healthy all the time. He ordained that this man would be born blind so that God could get glory when the time was right. If God's top priority is to remove suffering, to heal, Bless and give prosperity to the people who are good enough, who believe enough, and give enough, then he is doing a horrible job. He's a horrible God who can't accomplish what he set out to do. If his job is to, if his goal is to remove the pain from the people that believe the most. He's not doing a good job. But if his top priority is to bring honor and glory to his own great name, then he alone is worthy of all worship. Consider John the Baptist. Was he good enough? Did he believe enough? Did he give enough? Well, what did Jesus say about him? Of those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. So how did God reward the best human that ever lived? He gave him a life of obscurity, of persecution, of suffering, of imprisonment, and then finally beheaded as a party trick. This is how he rewards the best man. There's a reason that God never said, I'm sorry to John the Baptist or Job or Noah or Daniel or any other human ever. It's because he has a higher priority than our comfort or our physical circumstances, it's his glory. Consider Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 27. This is Jesus right before the crucifixion. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But no, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And God said, I have glorified it and I'm about to do it again. In your crucifixion. Notice the heart of God and notice the heart of Jesus. Jesus is so committed to the glory of the Father that he is willingly submitting to crucifixion. And God, the Father, is so committed to his own glory that he would send his own son to be crucified. That's how committed he is to his own glory. Did Jesus? Was Jesus good enough? Did he believe enough? Did he have enough faith? If anyone should have had all of his pain and suffering removed, it should have been Jesus. But God would stop at nothing to get glory for his own great name. That's his priority. You can call God harsh or cruel or unloving or unfair if you want. Because if He is committed to His own glory, even if it means pain and suffering for us, you can call it unloving or cruel until... you realize that he paid the ultimate cost. He suffered the ultimate loss so that he can invite you into life everlasting and to the fullest. Be glad that he is so committed to his own glory because if he was not, he would not have sent his son Jesus to die. And you and I would be stuck with what we deserve. Eternal damnation separated from God forever. Be glad he is committed to his own glory. There is ultimately nothing unloving or unfair to us about his commitment to his own glory. It is unfair to Jesus. It is not unfair to us be glad for God to insist upon his own glory is the most loving thing that he could do for you and I. Because for him to insist on his own glory means that you and I have eternal life through Christ. And not only that, imagine Two different versions of your life. One life where you are committed to your own glory. That every decision you make is so everyone will know how awesome you are. And you indulge every delight of your own. That version of your life will end in disappointment. Now, consider the version of your life where you are committed to the glory of God as much as he is. Where every decision you make is about making his name great and making everyone see how awesome he is. You will never be more satisfied. And you know this, brothers and sisters, from personal experience. You are never more satisfied than when you are living is Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to pay attention to this word worthy and ask yourself, what does it mean? What does worthy mean? Turn to Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. This is at the end. The lamb who was slain has taken the scroll and they all fall down and look at verse nine, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed. Notice that word ransomed. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That word ransom means, yes, he rescued them, but it also means he bought them. That means he owns them. He owns their praise forever. And then there were thousands of thousands. Verse 12 says, saying with a loud voice, worthy. There's that word again. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is how it ends. Every tribe, every people group is there giving him praise forever. Why? Because he's worthy. What does that mean? That he is worthy? It means he deserves it. He deserves it, first of all, because of who he is, his kabod. The character, the weight of who he is, the living son of God the lamb that was slain and because of what he did he purchased our praise and the praise of every nation with his own blood therefore he deserves glory how long does he deserve glory? forever and ever how many nations does he deserve? All of them. Buenas, ife way. All of them. He is worthy. Look at this last verse, Isaiah forty nine six. He, that's the Lord, says to the servant. That's Jesus. God, the father says to Jesus, it's too light a thing. Look at that word light. I want you to think of that scale again. Think about the kavod of Yahweh on one side of that scale. And the other side of the scale is glory that he receives. How much does he deserve It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. No, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Israel alone is too small. Nairobi alone is too small. Every single people group in Africa and every single people group in America is too small. It's all too light. What is he worthy of? All nations. Eternal, joy-filled worship and glory and praise and honor from every tribe, nation, and tongue forever and ever. That's the only thing that gets close to what Yahweh is worthy of because of who he is and what he's done. He is worthy. So why does God, why does God do anything that he does? To bring honor and glory to his own great name from all nations. (laughs) because he deserves it. May we begin to read our Bibles differently that we would be more aware of what God is doing to pursue glory for his own great name. And may we live differently that we also can do everything we do only for the glory of God. Because he deserves it. Brothers, sisters, he is worthy of so much more glory than he has received. Until all nations are around the throne giving him glory, until that happens, a cosmic injustice persists. It is wrong and it is not okay that the lamb who was slain is not receiving the glory that he deserves. And we get to be a part of fixing that. What an honor. What a joy. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You're worthy of so much more than I have given you. You're worthy of greater surrender, greater service, greater sacrifice. You're worthy of us loving you more, appreciating you more, You're worthy of us singing more, praying more. You're worthy of us going more. You're worthy of us sending more, more of our money, more of our children, more of our church members to all nations whom you have purchased at great cost. Father, you paid the ultimate price. We honor you. Jesus, you are the lamb who was slain. We honor you. We appreciate you. We give you glory. Help us to repent and change to live for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.